Some people are well known for being overflowing in confidence, in self-confidence. This, of course, is the US presidential candidate, Donald Trump. Probably, like you, uh, like myself, you have heard a lot about this guy recently. And a lot of the things he says just spills over with self-confidence. He said things like this. I'm going to do very well. That's what I do in life. Or I'm like a really smart person, he said. And then he went on to say, sorry losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest. And you all know it. Please don't feel stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. Now, before we judge Mr. Trump too harshly, lots of studies have actually shown that most of us overestimate our abilities. For example, there was a survey of high school students that found that in terms of leadership skills, 70% of them described themselves as above average. Which, if you think of average, then it's impossible, isn't it? Because 50% are above average and 50% below average. And then when it comes in in terms of getting on well with others, 85% of them thought that they were above average. And 25% rated themselves in the top 1%. So they were overestimating their abilities. Then there was a survey of drivers. 90% of them thought that they were above average in terms of their driving skills and in terms of their safety as a driver. 90%. And then in a survey of college professors, 94% of them described themselves as above average relative to their peers. Now, of course, we might claim that we are not like that. That we are much more humble and much more accurate in estimating our own ability than most other people. But that then kind of proves my point, doesn't it? if we think we're better at others at estimating our abilities. The early church in the book of Acts was also a confident community. As we saw last week, Peter and John courageously stood in front of the Sanhedrin and confidently defended their actions. They declared the truth about Jesus. They pointed to the Sanhedrin's guilt in condemning Jesus and they proclaimed with complete confidence that salvation is found in Jesus alone. And even when they were ordered not to speak any more about Jesus, they point blank refused to be silenced. The early church was a confident community. But this confidence of the church was a different kind of confidence. It wasn't based on an overestimation of their intelligence or their ability or their strength. Instead, their confidence was in God. And we see this right with Peter and John, right after they were released by the Sanhedrin in what they did as a first response to that. And we're going to continue reading from uh, Acts chapter 4. I'm going to break in at verse 23, which just comes right after the passage we were looking at last week. So Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people. 
and reported all that the chief priests and elders had, had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth have taken their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I wonder if you can remember back to when uh, the disciples and Jesus were in the upper room just before Jesus was arrested. And Peter confidently declared, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Full of self-confidence, Peter suggested that even although others might crumble and fail, he never would. He would stand for Christ even if he had to stand alone. But now, all thought of that being, of being better than others has gone. Instead, Peter and John realized that they needed the rest. So on the release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They went right back to their church family. It's because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. He brings us together in the body of Christ. And he teaches us about our need for each other. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. God doesn't want us to be isolated and individualistic. He doesn't want us to think that we can do this on our own. The courage and confidence that he wants to see in us is not that kind of lone ranger, standing alone kind. Instead, he wants us to realise that we need each other. And we need to share with each other. When Peter and John met the believers, they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, I don't think this was just passing on information to the church. This was also about sharing. About sharing their problems and getting encouragement from their church. This is what Paul taught the Galatian church. To carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We need to talk to each other. We need to listen to each other. We need to support and encourage each other. 
There is great strength and confidence when we are living like this as the family of God. God wants us to support each other and stand with each other in our Christian lives. He doesn't want us to try and do it on our own. But of course they didn't just meet to share with each other, to talk to each other. Ultimately they met to talk to God. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. We've seen that a lot, haven't we? Even in just in the first few chapters of Acts. That this church is a praying community. With one heart and mind, they turn to God in prayer. This was an expression of their love and commitment to each other. But even more so, it was an expression of their love and their commitment to God. And to their confidence in God. So here's Peter and John. They're confident of their church's interests and support. That's why they go back there immediately after that, that difficult experience. But their ultimate source of confidence is not in other Christians. Their ultimate source of confidence is in the Lord. And this is what that, this remarkable prayer expresses in kind of every statement. It's just so amazing, this prayer. Look at how the prayer begins. Sovereign Lord. This is the word despotes. It emphasizes that the church, that, that, sorry, that God is the ruler of unchallengeable authority. And when you think of it, especially just what they've they've gone through, I think this is amazing that they start off there. The Jewish authorities had arrested and imprisoned Peter and John. The Sanhedrin had questioned and intimidated them. And they'd ordered them to stay silent on threat of punishment. Their safety was in danger. Their lives were at risk. Their future was uncertain. But these Christians could declare with absolute confidence that there was a higher authority than these human rulers. They believed that God was the one who was ultimately in control of this world. Right at the start of this prayer, what an amazing statement of the faith in the sovereignty of God. And this is the basis on how we, have, we can have confidence in our world today. Because even in the face of all of the problems that we might go through, in the face of opposition, or prejudice, or criticism, or ridicule, or injustice, or even of violence, we can stand in confidence. Because we can know that God is sovereign. That God is in charge of this world. That he is in control even in the worst of days. The Lord does whatever pleases him in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all their depths. We can rejoice that no matter how bad things get, our heavenly father is ultimately in control. What an amazing truth to stand on this morning. But God is not only supreme in authority above every other person. 
He has also the power to carry his will out. They went on to say, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and in everything in them. Sometimes in the middle of our problems and difficulties, we struggle because our understanding of God is too small. Our view of God shrinks. And so we see the problems as insurmountable. We see the difficulties as impossible. And they may be to us. But if we really serve the God, the God who made this vast universe of billions of light years, of billions of galaxies, then we can say with Jeremiah, our sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing, nothing is too hard for you. No matter how big our problems are, no matter how large our difficulties, we can stand in the confidence that our God is bigger still. That's the confidence we can have in this world. Knowing God is sovereign and knowing that he's powerful is great. But if God was this amazing, powerful, sovereign Lord, and yet he was distant and disconnected from us, then we might be impressed by him, but we wouldn't really feel supported and encouraged or helped by him. But the early church was confident that God was also involved in their lives. Look at verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. You spoke. God is the God who spoke. They were confident in the God of revelation. They believed in the God who had spoken into their lives by the Holy Spirit and through his prophets. They trusted in a personal God who was interested in his people. Who cared enough about us to reveal himself to us. And to reveal what we need to know. There are so many things in this world that are unknown to us. So much that happens in this world that is beyond our comprehension. And yet today we can be sure that we know God. That we are absolutely certain of who God is and his character and his work in our lives. We can stand with assurance that we, are know, we know God and we're known by him. Because he's revealed himself to us. Because he has spoken to us through his word. But ultimately through his son. Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. 
through whom he appointed, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. So we don't need to be on that shaky ground of trying to make it up as we go along. Or trying to think and try to imagine what God is like. Or listening to everybody and anybody in their own opinions. Jesus has revealed God to us. So we can stand in that solid ground. Of knowing God. What amazing confidence that we can have. But not only has God revealed himself. He's also revealed aspects of the future to us. In their prayer, the believers looked to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers gather together against the Lord and as against his anointed one. David wrote that psalm about a thousand years previous to this time in Acts chapter 4. A thousand years earlier. And yet they believed that this psalm was speaking about their time. That this was a prophecy that was prophesying what they were going through. In this opposition that they just received from the Sanhedrin and the threats and the violence that had been been threatened against them. They believed that this psalm had pointed forward even to what had already happened. In their lifetime, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus. They saw that a thousand years earlier, God had spoken about what they had seen. So what did that, what difference did that make? Well, it meant that they didn't need to panic when they were arrested. Or where they were imprisoned. Or where they were questioned or threatened. Because they could see that this was something that God had spoken about years ago. That God knew about it all those years earlier. That it wasn't a surprise to God. That it wasn't because something had happened outside of God's control. There was further evidence that God is sovereign in his knowledge of what they were going through. When we go through difficult times in our lives. When the events in this world, or even just in our own lives, surprise us, or shock us, or stun us. We don't need to panic. We don't need to crumple. Because we knew that God already knew about it before it happened. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God already saw this day. Before we were even born, God knew this day. He knew exactly what we would go through today. It's not a surprise to him. He doesn't have to try and rethink what to do because he didn't know what was going to happen. And so we don't need to panic. We don't need to crumble. 
And even if we are challenged or criticised or condemned, even by those who are closest to us, we don't need to worry that somehow maybe things have gone wrong in our life. Because God's word tells us that as a Christian we're going to face those difficult days. That everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those attacks from that person, when that person laughed at you in your faith in Christ, when they criticised you for coming to church this morning, when they made it difficult for you to continue to live for God, God knew all about it before it happened. God is still in charge even in those difficult days. But not only does God want to warn us of those difficulties, Jesus promised us that we are blessed even in those difficulties. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But this amazing prayer of the early church didn't just state that God knew about this future opposition to his son. Nor did it just say that God was at work despite all the opposition. This prayer said that God was working through this opposition to fulfill his purposes. Look at verse 28. It's one of those verses that really baffle your brain. They did, that's Herod and Pontius Pilate and all of the Jews, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. It's one of those verses that tries to hold in intention the two truths of, of human free will and God's supreme will. Herod, Pilate, Caiaphas, Annas and the rest of the Jews who demanded Jesus' death were all acting through selfish and self-centred and sinful motives. They were trying to further their power and their influence. They were trying to protect their position. They were trying to push their agenda. They were acting in sin. And yet their evil actions, through their evil actions, God accomplished his great plan of salvation that had been decided before the creation of this world. I don't think we'll ever be able to work all of that out. I don't think we'll be able to kind of bring those two truths together and merge them completely. But if we hold on to those two truths, as the Bible presents it to us, then it can be a great source of confidence in our lives. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This certainty doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. It doesn't mean that everybody who's going to work in our life is working for our good. Of course not. There's loads of people who are trying to make it difficult for us. It doesn't mean that we're going to like what is happening in our lives or that we're going to see it all work out 
on this earth. But it does mean that no matter what we're going through in our lives, we can rest assured that God is working in our lives for our good and for His glory. We can stand in confidence in that truth. Even though we can't see it be all being worked out, even though we can't explain how it's being worked out, we can stand in faith in that promise of God. In prayer, these believers expressed amazing confidence in the sovereignty, the power, the revelation, the knowledge and the providence of God. But they didn't stop there. They continued on to ask God for what they needed. Believing that God would answer according to his goodness. Maybe you remember back when when Jesus was with his disciples. And they came into a Samaritan village. And the Samaritan village didn't welcome Jesus. And James and John asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? They don't like us. God, let's kill them all. Nice guys. But this time, their prayer is very different. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. Because first of all, they ask God simply to consider their threats. Shows remarkable constraint, doesn't it? They didn't ask God to stop the persecution. They didn't ask God to punish those who were guilty of it. They simply asked God to notice what was happening. It was enough for them to know that God saw their suffering. And that he would act appropriately. They were leaving the the result of that or the, the proper response to that in God's hands. Not demanding punishment and judgment. Then secondly, they asked that God would enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Remember, they'd just been threatened never to speak about Jesus ever again. How did they respond? God, help us to speak about Jesus more than ever before. And lastly, they prayed. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The Jewish leadership had threatened them with violence. But they didn't respond to that with a prayer for vengeance. Instead, they prayed for miracles of mercy. They prayed that God would work through them. To minister in love to those who are hurting. That they would see the grace of Jesus. And that they people would come to know Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. That's the Christian response to attack in opposition and persecution. Despite the challenges and opposition they faced. This community was committed to standing for Christ. They knew it was their calling, their mission, their purpose. But they were also aware of their limitations and their weaknesses. And so in humility and faith they asked for strength 
to fulfill God's will in their lives. There's a guy called Philip Brooks. A number of years ago he, he wrote this. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. That's what the prayer the church prayed for. They didn't pray for God to change their circumstances. They didn't pray for God to make their lives easy. Instead, they prayed for the strength to overcome those circumstances so that they might continue to bring glory and honour to their Saviour. It's a remarkable prayer. One of my favourite in the whole of the Bible. It isn't the prayer of self-confidence. There's no boasting in their ability or their commitment or their strength. Instead, it's a prayer of a community who were confident in God. In his sovereignty, in his power, in his revelation, in his knowledge, in his providence, and in his goodness. And God answered their prayer. Verse 31 says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The place was shaken as a sign, as a reminder of God's power. The people were filled with the Holy Spirit as again they experienced God's presence. And they went out from that and shared the message of Jesus in fulfilment of God's purpose and in demonstration of God's power. This is the kind of confidence that God wants us to have. Not based on an overestimation of our abilities, but one that is solidly based on an accurate understanding of who God really is. I pray that each one of us will stand confident, but stand confident in God.